soon. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is time for a little A's Cast Live here on A's Cast as we're going to see the Seattle Mariners for the first time in 2021. And let me just tell you this. The start of a series after being on the road, and I know it was only three games down in Anaheim, it's always just great to get back to the Coliseum and get ready for another home game. It's absolutely beautiful out here today. It's going to be a great evening. It's summertime. People are allowed back in the ballpark. I think they're starting to be that fever around our country for sports. Uh, If you watched the PGA Championship yesterday to see all those people out there in South Carolina, people want to get out. We got Memorial Day coming up. Uh, This is just a great time in the sports calendar. And it's a great time for A's baseball because your Oakland Athletics are in first place by a game and a half. Will Leach from MLB.com is going to be here at 415. He's got a new mystery novel out that we'll talk to him about. And we'll talk to him about the A's and how, once again, people want to tell us how great the Angels were going to be, how great the Astros were going to be. And then here we are sitting, uh, is it the 24th, May 24th, and the A's are in first place. Happens all the time. Aaron Goldsmith, friend of the program, play-by-play man for the Mariners, will be here at 4.30. They've got issues. Not only do they stink, but now they got a COVID problem. Now, when we say a COVID problem, let's be honest. These young kids, they don't feel it. They're asymptomatic, but you got to put them on protocol, and you got to quarantine, and we're not out of the woods yet. And so we'll talk to Aaron about what is going on with the Seattle Mariners. And then Alex Jensen, who for a while now has filled in for me here on A's Cast Live and would also do the A's pre- and post-game show for me, uh, got the gig to be the voice of the Stockton Ports. So tonight he's actually going to be stepping in for Ken Korak, and it's going to be Alex and Vince on the broadcast. So our buddy Alex Jensen... I get to rip on him because now that he's gone, I can never take a day off. It's his fault. Oh, I mean, it, it, it is. And, you know, congrats to him. And, uh, you know, I want to ask him, the, first and foremost, when did St. Mary's become a pitching factory? Tony Gonsolin, Corbin Burns, Kyle Bearclaw, Alex Jensen, former college pitcher. I mean, what is it with um, – how can I put this politely? Um, smaller stature pitchers I can't like yourself believe, and I, him. I can't believe you're skipping out on the greatest gale of all I, time. I'm, I, Tom Candiotti? I'm not, I, the candy man. I, I was going more non in the 80s. but The knuckleballer. Hey, Corbin Burns had the greatest strikeout the walk rate to start a season in the history of baseball. And then Garrett Cole broke it. The, the, the field's named after Tom Candiotti. I know. but it's Or at just, least when I played the gales. And, yes, I do have a win against the gales. It's just, it's just so wild that in the last couple of years, you've been seeing a lot more uh, St. Mary's Gales starting pitchers come from that university. So Alex Jensen has an inside track on 
what's going on uh, in Moraga with all these starting pitchers. But Weren't they known for Australian basketball players? Matthew Delavadova, Patty Mills. That's what the extent of the Australian basketball players I can think of. Can they turn this music up any louder? This is unbelievable. It's the same songs every day, too. And it's, yeah, it's the same loud songs for some reason. Uh, your A's continue to hit home runs. They have 12 homers in the last four games. They got 68 now, which is second. And not by, and, and it's not even close. The Braves have 78 home runs. Well, it's because they hit like 78 against the Pirates over the weekend. They beat, they beat the Pirates 20 to 1 on Friday. That's not even, by the way, that's not the worst loss I've ever seen the Pirates suffer. I was at a 20 to nothing loss. But We've had a lot of blowouts recently. Uh, now, 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 we talk about lack of scoring around Major League Baseball, but there have been some big time blowouts. How about the Mariners and their six game skid? They've been outscored 46 to 10. I mean, I, I, I hate to say. You should sweep these guys because, as I said yesterday, and a couple people in the A's clubhouse show were not happy with that loss yesterday as the A's had the lead, and then the bullpen gave it up. And I said, you know, the other guys get paid too. But, I mean, this Mariner team isn't very good. No, and and you know you know who they're you know who they're best. Uh, well, you know, first of all, it's great to see uh, Mitch Haniger, local Mitchie. boy. Local boys back, 13 home runs. He's playing well. I mean, he had a brutal year and a, like a year of injuries. but He went to Fremont High School, I believe, down in the South Bay? Yeah. Or, no, maybe it was um, – no, uh, was it um, – what's the one in, in um, Mountain View? I'm, draw, I'm, draw, I'm drawing it, a blank. It's, it's Fremont. I know it's not in Fremont. I, think I know, I know, but I, I thought it was the other big one in, in uh, Mountain View. Um, but he's having a great year. Kyle Seeger's having a nice year. Kendall Graveman is there? Oh, he went to Archbishop Midi. Oh, he went to Midi, even even he's bigger. A private school kid. Yeah, um, but no, he's having a great year. Thirteen homers. Kendall Graveman leads our team in WAR. Now he's one of the guys. With, it's now on the COVID nineteen list. But he has he's one of like two closers that hasn't given up a run yet. He has a one point five WAR. Kendall Graveman, friend of the program, now closer at thirty years old, has been great for this Mariners team. That's lost six in a row. Do you know what their team batting average is? Oh, it's probably 190-something. Mm, close. They're at the Mendoza line. They're hitting 200. 200. They're, ter- they're, they're terrible. What do you think Jared Kelnick's doing, the savior of the organization? What do you well, think you doing? said he had to be up, and he was the great. He was the next Mike Trout. He's hitting 135 on the yeah, earth, one home run. Hey, speaking of Graveman, it doesn't shock me that Kendall Graveman, and th- this, this goes to when you got somebody who's got a good arm, but yet they're not a good starter. So what do you do with him? And especially a guy who can't go deep. And that, that reminds me of what we just saw and what I guess we're going to see, I think, on Friday night is Shohei Otani. So Graveman, with his movement and his velocity being up, you know, I, I saw him one game, he's throwing like 96, 97, but he's doing that with sync. And we saw it here. I mean, he really is a two-pitch pitcher. And he pitches down. It's either going to be the cutter slider or it's going to be the two-seamer. So it's either going to be down and in to a hitter or it's going to be down and away. Now, if I only have to come in for one inning and I'm throwing it as hard as I can versus I'm going out there and I want to maybe get five or six, I, I think it's a great role for him. And I think it's a role for certain guys, and I think we're going to see Jesus Cesardo come back. 
He's going to be put in the bullpen. You've called for A.J. Puck to be in the bullpen. You know, the whole thing that relievers are failed starters, I think people got to get over that. The reality is nobody's going deep in games for the most part. So these relievers are taking on far more value than ever before. Because if a guy's going to go five innings, are you really putting hockey on? The Penguins are in the playoffs, man. I could care less. You want to watch an, an Indians game, a meaningless AL, an AL I, Central game? Then what? The Canucks versus what is this? No, the the Maple Leafs? I don't know. I, can't, the, I can't find the Penguins game. It's on, how do you not have it on TV? You got Penguins nobody, Islanders. Because nobody cares. You got two of the best teams on hockey. How's nobody it on cares. TV? Nobody cares. What, what do you think anybody listening to us right now could even name a player on the Islanders? Probably not. I can't even name a player on the Islanders. Actually, I can't. I mean, but. seriously. But getting back to relievers, <laughs> I, I, think, I think yesterday's example, Sean Manaya's night, what do you have, 98 pitches? Yeah, five innings. Well, now you got to go get four, you got to go get four innings from somebody. And, the, and those, a good example of yesterday's game, were going to be really valuable, really valuable innings. I think this, this guy that's going to come in for you, the sixth, the seventh, or the seventh and the eighth, somebody that can give you length, can give you innings, is, is really one of the most valuable guys on your team. Yeah. Because he could be pitching in really high leverage, as we saw yesterday, high leverage innings that the A's failed in yesterday, and that's why they lost. I'm a little, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this. We saw that the, the team called up Cam Bedrosian from AAA Vegas. He's pitching for the Reds earlier this year. His average fastball velocity is around 93 miles an hour, former Angel. We know he pitch, used to pitch every day, every day Cam for the Angels. He seemed like he was in there every day for them. The A's rank in the bottom of the league in average fastball velocity. They're 28th in bullpen not just overall staff velocity. They're 28th. Only the Giants and the Angels have lower fastball velocity. And Cam gets called up. He's, he's even appearing a game. I mean, I get it. Maybe you're saving for the Mariners. A, so, a soft landing. Saving him for the Mariners. Yeah. A soft landing. I know I know. We that's a, a, a term we hear a lot. But he's a 29-year-old reliever. It's not like he's a guy making his major league debut. But the spots they were putting, like uh, Raymond uh, Goodwan comes in in a spot that Romo put him in a bad situation. And, I mean, Goodwan Gu- Gu- had never pitched in a situation like that. No, in his career. And what he, in the in the situation he got Otani to line out to right field, and that pitch on 111 miles per hour off the bat could have been a lot worse to get him to tie the game. I'll take that out every time if you if you can. Well, I, I think about velocity. You know, Yasmero doesn't throw hard. Romo doesn't throw hard. Kalerik's not here right now, but he doesn't throw hard. Goudouin doesn't throw hard. I mean, the only guys that kind of throw hard, but it's not really considered hard in today's baseball, but that'd be Trevino and Diekman. Other than that, who throws hard coming out of the bullpen? Uh, Burt Smith throws like 93-ish. But that's not hard. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, that's why they're 28th in average velocity. That's bad. And that's the that's the thing that whether you're bringing in Jesus Cesardo out of the bullpen, uh, whenever A.J. Puck at some point is ready to go again, or at the trading deadline. And that's, that's what David and Billy, I mentioned it yesterday on the A's Clubhouse show, they're always going to go out and get somebody. Or they may get multiple guys, and I have a feeling that's what we're going to see at the trading deadline. Not a position player, 
but going out and get a couple guys, find a team that's looking to dump some guys. They want to get some some prospects, you know, not your top prospects, and get some guys with some velocity in here because I'm not going to feel confident in a playoff game. And I know he's had a, a terrific career. He's got three World Series rings. But if Romo's coming in in a playoff game, ugh. I mean, Trevor Ro- ideal situation, you get Trevor Rosenthal back and you get a couple guys in a trade, and then that takes the pressure off Lou Trevino and Jake Diekman. And now you're looking – I mean, if you push Diekman and Trevino down and add an arm or two plus Rosenthal, now you're looking at a plus-plus bullpen. Yeah, and I was going to say, there's a, there's a guy in your own division that you could look at to make a trade with, a guy you're familiar with. Why, why not look at Kendall Graveman at the deadline? Where are the Mariners going this year? Bring Kendall Graveman back? I mean, he's thrown like 97. Yeah, with sink? Yeah, and, and, and like I said, he hasn't given up a run. And I know it's still early-ish. I mean, we're, we're at the end of May, and what they say around 40 games when you kind of know where your team is. And we've had, you've asked David Force already, when do you start you know making calls and knowing where your team's at and all that? So... I mean, Graven's a, a good a guy to maybe look at, depending on where the Mariners are. I mean, what are they at right now? I think I have the record. Did I put the, I write the record down. I know they've lost six in a row. They got swept by the Padres, and it wasn't even close. Uh, I mean, the Padres have won nine straight, but. They are 21 and in, 26. Yeah, so, yeah, there, there you go. And Jared Kelnick's up, like we, met, we talked about. He's supposed to be the savior. He's in 135. He's still very young. He's only had 40 plenty appearances, but. Graveman's a guy you can look at. Maybe you can bring in. There's there's going to be guys out there. The Rays is a car, two guys, and most people that are fans of baseball never heard of before. And they've won 11 in a row after their win today. So the Mariners are 9-14 and 14 on the road. They're 12-16 and 16 against teams that are 500, and they are a minus 52 run differential. Now, they, they, they did what they've done the past couple of years. I don't remember what they did last year, but I remember – 2019 they get out to a decent start oh look at the mariners and then they just fall apart and that's what they're doing now losers of six straight you know you look at this division texas 22 and 27 angels now 20 and 27 i mean it really is shaping out what we thought it was going to be and we've talked with ray fossey about this it's a two-horse race it's you up against the houston astros it is what it is. And can't wait for the Astros looking at their schedule when they start having to go to Boston and they have to start going to Tampa because they've been feasting off the American League West and they feasted off the A's. They're 7-3 and three against the A's and, you know, some games haven't been close. Obviously, the first four and the last homestand here I have it in the I have it in my scorebook, but they've been out hit by the Astros by 53 hits. But now let's see the Astros go play in the East, go on the road. They've played a lot in division, and they feasted. You know, got to be honest, they feasted off us, and they feasted off everybody else. They got the. Uh, I know we got Will coming up, but they got they got the Padres, they got the Dodgers, they got the Red Sox all coming up. Uh, in their next couple series, the Astros do so, and I think I think on Wednesday Trevor Bauer's pitching in uh, in Houston, so I can't wait to watch that Bauer versus the Astros. 
you know, all the all the stuff he says about them and all the all the hate between the Dodger fans and the Astros. That's gonna be a fun series to watch. All right. Earlier today, we caught up uh, with Will Leach from MLB.com. It's great to have you back on the program. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. It's always an honor to come on and chat with you guys during a uh, during what I have to say has been a pretty exciting baseball season. I feel like I'm I'm absorbing it all in a way. I'm lapping up baseball in a way that feels different maybe post-pandemic, but uh, I'm just delighted to get to talk about anything uh, happy uh, in this day and age. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, when, when you're watching sports, and we can even bring up the PGA yesterday, which was historic with Phil Mickelson winning, just to see all the people there and to see the joy and what we see here at the ballpark, people are just so happy just to be out and about and to have sports again. It really was kind of an incredible weekend for that. I actually wrote about that for New York Magazine this week of not only the Nicholson thing, but, you know, you looked at the NBA playoffs. I know the uh, the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden having 15,000 fans there that were so loud. They'd obviously been waiting so long to be able to watch the to watch playoff basketball. It really it was just a reminder that it just wasn't the same without fans. And we always we always kind of knew that. We knew it intellectually that it was like that, but there was something about watching. Like, it's just different. The players react differently. Uh, you talk about the games differently. Everything just seems to have the importance that we want with sports. It's release. It's enjoyment. I think fans have reminded us that, that that's the reason this has all exists in the first place. Well, and, and the group that has noticed it the most and fed off it are the players. If they ever didn't appreciate yeah. fans, they sure do now. Yeah, it's, I think it's been fun, too, because everything seems kind of dialed up, right? Like disagreements between teams seem dialed up with fans and pinner races seem dialed up with fans. And, and just all of it just seems pumped up a little bit more. And it's reasonable, right? Like, you know, players, we, we've been watching games on television forever, but players have been watching, have been playing in front of fans forever like it's, it's certainly in and while it was awkward for us i think for a lot of people to watch games on television with no fans at the stand i think it was a lot weirder for for players to play uh in w- without fans in front of them and i i i you know we'll see you know we, there's a lot of discussion about how much uh we'll get back to a normal realm and how when when we start taking things for granted again but right now it really the mickelson thing is a great example just the joy that everyone had involved and the idea that people like I don't remember I've watched Phil Mixon play golf a long time I've never seen him like literally have to fight through fans <laughs> to go to the hole you know I mean like and and, and, I, and it was funny because like I thought it was telling too because I feel like pre-pandemic his reaction understandably would have been frustration fury or rage like I'm trying to go do a shot and these people won't get out of my way but I will say that there seemed to be a certain kind of Wow, it's just so good to have this again that I think they kind of went with it. And I, frankly, I think it, it even helped them a little bit. You know, here we are getting into late May. And I remember in the preseason talking to so many people and they'd say, you know, the Houston Astros are going to be this and the Angels are going to be that. Are you shocked where we are that the A's right now lead the division by a game and a half? It's certainly uh, – uh, I guarantee you one people that aren't shocked about are the A's because they do this every year. This is the thing, right? And, you know, I think the ad, I, it's funny, once again, I feel like the trendy pick this year, the Astros a little bit, but really the trendy pick was the Angels, right? The Angels were, it was fun. Otani was going to be healthy and Trout was going to be hot. 
it's going to be all set up for them. And once again, the same thing that got them is the same thing that gets them, which is which is the lack of pitching. And you know, there is a lack of. I don't think there's a lack of sizzle with the A's, but certainly I do believe from the outside there is this sensation. Like if, if you were to do like a one of those Columbia Journalism Review studies, like number of mentions of the Angels and the A's in the last five years, never binding the Astros who would outpace all of them. Obviously, uh, the, the A's would get the short end of that. Yet here they are kind of winning again. And what's interesting now is the, the analytic crew who have always generally been you know, pro A's and, and kind of got the context of the whole thing. They are the ones that are almost a little down on the A's right now. They're the ones that are a little kind of surprised by it. One of the things I think is really impressive about the franchise is they keep finding little ways to different ways to do things. And I think that's what's kind of fun about this is there are they they're like the run differential isn't as good as the Astros, but hey, you know what? Here you are. The A's are ahead of them once again. Yeah, and we just had the uh, Angels over the weekend. We were down at the Big A in Anaheim. And you're looking at all the money that Artie Moreno and the Angels are spending. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been guaranteed to that roster and even still paying Albert Pujols as he's now a Dodger. And you just look at their team and, and, and you know, obviously Trout's hurt, but it's a bad roster to be spending that much money compared to what the A's spend, which is a terrific roster. This Angels roster is terrible. Yeah, I think that I think that speaks to leadership and management. To be entirely honest, I think that like there are teams that spend a lot of money that do, in fact, spend it wisely. The Angels are just not one of those teams, and I think that that's what you see. And I, you know, it, it certainly makes you kind of harken back a little bit, frankly, to Mike Trout's decision to ex- to sign the extension with the Angels. I understood what he was thinking at the time. They had some young players coming up. Joe Adele was, was very exciting for a lot of people, but he hasn't really quite panned out, at least this early on in his career. And, you know, on one hand, this is what people always wondered about Trout before he signed the extension. Are you sure that he wants to be tied to this organization? And it's not just like one guy. Like Moreno is obviously the guy in charge of it. But, you know, I mean, the thing that's been, I think, really smart about the A's, and I think the smart, the smart thing about a lot of franchises, it's like there's a good process in place. It is not at the subject of the whims of the guy in charge if he feels like doing something. There's a reason that, like, George Steinbrenner, like, they, they, that, that didn't work anymore. It really didn't work back when George Steinbrenner was really loud. <laughs> the, the major ownership idea was one guy, my way or the highway. It makes good headlines. It makes it certainly makes the owner feel better. But it's not actually the right way to run a franchise. And I think we see it consistently uh, throughout baseball history, not just with, with Moreno, but with Steinbrenner, with Ted Turner back in the day. Like generally speaking, when you have this like big, huge personality uh, ahead of your franchise, it doesn't really work in baseball, and I think we're seeing the results of that. You know, with all the no-hitters going on so early, I find it comical when people are asking the questions, uh, are these making no-hitters less special? Uh, ask any pitcher. I think I know what that answer will be. I got to tell you, I've been to hundreds of baseball games, nearing the 1,000. Perhaps I've even gotten to 1,000. I've lost count. I've never seen a no-hitter. <laughs> really? But you're not going to. I've never seen one. And it's hard. Like, I think it was, it was interesting. Uh, they talked to uh, Aaron Boone, uh, the manager of the Yankees, and he said until 
uh, Corey Kluber's no hitter, he had never been in it, been a part of a no hitter, which is remarkable because Aaron Boone is not just like a longtime player and a longtime uh, uh, manager. He's like a third generation baseball player. Like this is something that he's been a part of entire no hitters. While certainly it feels like there's a few more, are still really rare and really special. And so I will uh, now maybe. If I go to three consecutive games and all three of them are no hitters, they're like, okay, 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 okay. Now, but that seems very unlikely to me. It's still very special, and it's interesting because, I mean, honestly, on one hand, yes, the ball, uh, uh, bat to ball, is going a little bit less than it used to be, and therefore, a no hitter theoretically is more likely. But complete game shutouts are certainly a lot less likely, and yet I always feel like those are the surprising thing that happens rather than a no hitter. I, 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 uh, I understand the uh, conversation about this, but uh, I feel like if you're not getting excited about a no-hitter, I, I'm, I'm not sure how much uh, invested in baseball you really are. <laughs> yeah. Well, normally when you're a baseball <laughs> writer, you write a book about baseball, but you have a new book. Congratulations, and tell us about how lucky. Yeah, so I wrote a book, uh, a little off-brand, as they might say, but uh, certainly, uh, yeah, it's a book. It, 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 it does have college football, certainly college football. I've got a little bit of that. But it actually is about a man named, uh, it's a mystery and a suspense thriller about a man with a uh, with a terminal disease who witnesses a crime and uh, tries to kind of solve it and kind of communicate his details of it. It takes place here in Athens, Georgia, where I live. And it's funny because, you know, I, I was very excited to do it. I wanted to do something a little, I love, I will always write about baseball, but it was fun to write about something else. And then Stephen King apparently got a hold of it and like tweeted about how much he loved it. I do not know wow. Stephen King. I have not met Stephen King, but certainly <laughs> it was kind of bizarre, right? To like, wow, that's, well, hello. Wait, hey, that's big league. Yeah, like, hello, guy who represents books for most of the country. Thank you for saying this nice thing. So, yeah, it was certainly an honor. And uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, when Stephen King tweets about your book and, and, and gives it a blurb, it, that's the sort of thing that gets, like, your high school English teacher to be like, Will, you've vindicated my career. I'm like, yes, Ms. Wheeler? Yes, I believe it was Ms. Wheeler. Um, but uh, so uh, it was certainly very exciting. But, uh, yeah, it's been a fun thing to have. It's gone very well. Uh, and it's a book shows everywhere. I, I feel kind of lucky to be able to, to, to be able to get away with it. Uh, but don't worry, I will still always be writing about baseball. Well, I'm sure, like, you can get on, like, Amazon, right? Yeah, well, he's on Amazon, your, your local bookstores. If you go to the front desk, you will, if you go to the front, most almost every bookstore you go into right now, I think most independent bookstores in Barnes & Nobles are open now, You, it's at the front desk. It's a brand-new release. It's going very well. You'll see a little sticker from well, with Stephen King's endorsement because, come on, we're not going to be crazy when Stephen King says something nice about it. We're going to put it right in the front of the book. Uh, but, yeah, it, of course, it's on Amazon. And, and uh, you, you name a place where books could possibly be purchased, and, and it's there. So I think about a mystery. I mean, you're you're going completely out of your lane. Have you ever done anything like this before, or is this is this a first time? I've I've written. You know, it's funny. I've written. I've, I wrote a novel about 15 years ago before I was ever really in sports. <laughs> and so back then, the the question was. Wow, why is this novel guy writing about sports all of a sudden? <laughs> so it's been kind of fun to see that kind of reversed a little bit. Uh, for me, you know, uh, it's really just telling stories. You know, you're, you're, and whether it's whether it's nonfiction or fiction, or whether it's baseball or mystery, uh, you're 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 telling stories, and you're you're trying to get people to understand uh, really, you know, basic uh, 
you're, you're trying to keep people interested and entertained and informed in a way that, uh, you know, life's complicated and life's difficult. And sometimes it's baseball that takes you away from it. Sometimes it's a mystery. But uh, uh, on the whole, it's still the same storytelling technique. You know, where we live here in Northern California, it's so different from where you live. And I try and explain to people, like, you know, they think about the Atlanta Falcons. They think about the Braves. They think about the Hawks. And I'm like, no, you got to understand, college football is religion. <laughs> And down where you live, they're talking Georgia and Georgia Tech year-round. It's a whole different ball game. Yeah, and listen, I'm in Athens, so they are, they 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 will they would even take offense to the fact that you even consider Georgia Tech. This, <laughs> this, is the Georgia, this is a Georgia town. I mean, it, you know, it's the end of May, uh, and they're doing nothing but talking about uh, the the dogs opener against Clemson in the same way. Frankly, that they'll be doing that they did last March. So, oh, the college basketball tournament? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I guess they also play basketball in college. We forgot about that because all they really care about is football here. It's a big, it is a big deal, you know. And this, and to me, one of the things that, that's in the book is I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna write a book that took place in Athens, Georgia, over a week that didn't feature Georgia football week. That would be masochistic to not do that. So, uh, to be able to to tell the story of, of what Georgia football is like, it becomes a thing. Listen. You know, it is difficult. Georgia, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but has become somewhat of a political flashpoint state over the last uh, over the last yeah. few years. But one of the things that's really great about Georgia and about Georgia football is it becomes this thing where, on football Saturdays, I you know, on football Saturdays there are people on opposite sides of the political spectrum. There are people that would never hang out with each other in any other sort of form, and they come together and, and kind of all unite around dogs and i think that's one of the things that sports is able to do in a way that really nothing else in life is able to and it's an exciting thing to try to capture that not just in my regular life but also in the book uh clemson georgia dabo sweeney uh bring it bringing the tigers in that that's the, that's the opening day match that that's huge yeah, there's a there's a count. Do you know how some some places will have that like national debt clock that runs the numbers up? There's a countdown clock here specifically to that day in Charlotte. It's the biggest game of the year, you know, and and uh, it, it is remarkable to me to live in a town where there was a football stadium in the middle of everything. It's like they built the campus and the town around it. It's only used six or seven days of the year, and it is still the essential of everything here. So yeah, that game is going to be huge, and the whole season is going to be huge, you know, and. Uh, it's funny, my, my son, I have, a, I have an older son, he's the same age as Kirby Smart, the head football coach of, of Georgia, his son. And so we, we, we actually coach a little league together. And it's so funny to, like, see people, like, for the first off, the last thing they care about is the writer guy. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, see, to, see, to see the centerpiece, like, the, you know, football is the center of the universe here. And, uh, and everything else is, uh, is just details, I suppose. You know, I, I know the political issue and why the All-Star yeah. game was removed. And a lot of people out of Georgia had a lot of opinions. How, how do people in Georgia feel about that? You know, uh, they, they, there are obviously people on both sides of the issue that are particularly passionate about it and are unable to perhaps, like, take a step back from it, which I understand. I would say the average person in Georgia, I mean, I mean, it's been a rather bruising few years in Georgia politics, and I think it's reasonable that people would perhaps be a little bit exhausted and want like a little bit of a break. I'll put it this way. The most of the people I know that, that don't have to, this is part of Major League Baseball's thinking, I think, was no one wanted to have this constant conversation every single day until the All-Star game. 
And uh, that's pretty much what they tried to avoid. So uh, certainly I think people would like to have the All-Star game here. I think it will probably be back here uh, eventually. But uh, it was going to turn everything into the same political farce that's been going on in Georgia for a while. So they may have <laughs> excuse me, they wanted the release. Yeah, I just feel bad for all those, all those small businesses that were preparing for that huge spike of making a lot of money with all the people coming to town, but it is what it is. Hey, Will, we always appreciate the time, and we will definitely promote your book. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. Of course. Thank you, sir. All righty. A little mystery out of Athens, Georgia. College football, SEC. It's big time. Kirby Smart against Dabo Sweeney to start the season? That's a huge game. Well, Dabo doesn't have uh, Trevor Lawrence anymore, so we'll see. Oh, I think Dabo will find another quarterback. I yeah. think he'll be fine. No, was that game in Athens, or is it in Death Valley? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. Dabo won a national championship without Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, wait, was, wasn't Trevor the quarterback when they won? He's, he's won multiple. What's his name for the Texans? Oh, uh, that's right, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think he has a top a top recruit that are playing quarterback that's coming in there that's going to take over for Trevor Lawrence anyway. So, yeah, he'll be fine. I've had uh, I've had Dabo on my old talk show. He has a great accent. Oh, he's the best. He's a nice, he's a great guy. And uh, God, who was it? Because the Raiders were looking to draft. Well, they took Sammy Watkins, and I remember he said, "Not taking Sammy Watkins is like not taking Michael Jordan in the draft." <laughs> He's always pumping up his players. That's true. Well, they ended up taking a Clemson kid, and uh, wasn't uh, what's the the end the D end Farrell? What's his first name? Uh, Colin Farrell. So yeah, th- is he from Clemson, right? No, I think he's from LSU. They took uh, Renfro. Yeah, but I thought Farrell was the cl- the defensive end they took in the first round. Remember, everyone's like, why did Mayock take him at four? They could have got him lay- way later. I thought he was from LSU. Arden Key was from LSU, if I'm not mistaken. Come on, I'm, I'm like Mel. I'm like Mel Kiper. I watch all sports. No, you're not. You know, yeah. you can't even name people on these hockey teams. Well, the Penguins, I can. Well, that's great. What about the other teams? Look, I have the Rockies Mets game on. I don't. I don't even. I don't, Charlie Blackman's on the Rockies. <laughs> For how long? <laughs> um, uh, that's a good question. I don't know how much longer he's going to be on there. He might be a guy. I mean, him and Trevor Store. And well, uh, actually, Blackman doesn't really have a team-friendly contract. Yeah, Farrell did go to Clemson. First-round pick, number four. And he is not great. Will we have Aaron? Yeah, I texted him to call in, so there he is. Aaron, how are you? Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome back to A's Cast Live. It's great to be with you guys. How are you? We're, we're, we're doing great. So where are, are you calling the, uh, the games from a studio? Are you calling it from the ballpark, or are you doing it from home? Calling this from uh, T-Mobile Park. That's our road setup uh, last year and this year as well. So we, uh, I have uh, 36 monitors in front of me. It feels like, <laughs> and we, we've got, uh, we've got every angle. Hopefully that we'll need. We'll find out shortly enough. But yeah, that's uh, that's how we've been doing it. It's been working out all right. It's like all you play-by-play guys are now becoming video experts. Well, you know. It, at the end of 2019, most play-by-play guys, we didn't know how to turn on a monitor. I'm not sure we any of us still do, uh, but we at least uh, get the opportunity to turn on more than one on a, any given night. So how are we doing with the uh, Seattle Mariners? You know, looking at a losing streak, a, a COVID outbreak, it, it, it can't be easy right now. 
No, this is uh, hopefully hopefully this will be the hardest hardest run or stretch or toughest times of the season for the Mariners because you're right the they they had a very disappointing series. They were swept in three games against the Tigers, uh, which obviously nobody wants to get swept by the Tigers at home in particular. One of those losses was uh, a no hitter. The second time the Mariners have been no hit this year, and then the Mariners. I go to San Diego and just get uh, basically boat raced by Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, single-handedly, uh, plus the rest of that roster. And now they, they come limping into Oakland with uh, a, a mini COVID outbreak in the bullpen that has really uh, gotten rid of some high-leverage guys, including the Mariners' closer, Kendall Graveman, who was uh, pitching his way to the All-Star game this year. Uh, hopefully he won't be out too much longer, but it's – it's a shorthanded team right now. It's a team that is uh, at its its lowest point uh, this year, and hopefully it won't get any lower than this. Well, you know, we're always pulling for Kendall because uh, of his time here with the A's. He's a great kid, and I remember we had him on the show, and I just think it's a, it's a great fit for him. Struggled as a starter, but now when you just got to come in, and he's come back from Tommy John, and he's good friends with Chris Bassett. Both of them actually struggled after the surgery. But now that he's back and he just gets go out there, throw 97, throw as hard as you can for one inning, and he's got that great sink, and now with the velocity, just talk about he's really transformed his career. It's pretty remarkable. When, when he signed on with the Mariners, he was, as you mentioned, coming off to Tommy John, and he was given a spot in the Mariners rotation and only made a, really a handful of, of starts in the shortened season last year before landing on the IL because of a, a believe it or not, a benign tumor in his neck. And it uh, was diagnosed, and uh, Kendall was told with great authority that it was not something that was worsening and would not worsen uh, even with uh, pitching, uh, with physical activity. It really came down to pain tolerance and Kendall uh, assessed very quickly that he could not pitch every five or six days and throw a hundred pitches and tolerate that level of pain. It was too great. I'm sure it'd be too great for anyone. And so he, it was incredible the way that this all worked out and has made Kendall the pitcher that he is today because the Mariners bullpen last year was not good and they were looking for any answers possible. Kendall goes on the injured list because of uh, the tumor and he then approached the Mariners training staff and said, I think I can pitch out of the bullpen and manage this pain. I'd like to give it a go. They ran it up the flagpole all the way to the top to general manager, Jerry DePoto. Uh, Jerry was obviously willing to try anything given the state of the bullpen last year. So he was really on the IL for a relatively short period of time. All things considered uh, comes back uh, is right away, uh, essentially a back three reliever uh, in terms of leverage for the Mariners and got the hang of it almost immediately. We saw the velocity go up even further. Uh, he's hit 100 this year. Uh, his two-seamer is just vicious. His slider is filthy. Uh, he still has a changeup as well, and he has fully embraced it, and he's just breaking bats, throwing saw blades, and just throwing absolute gas. And so he is, he's been so dynamic, and Scott Service has used him in so many ways other than just the ninth inning kind of the robotic way that you would normally use your closer. Scott has thrust him in there anywhere from the sixth to the ninth inning. Uh, so credit to Scott for functioning his bullpen that way. But it's a huge loss and not having him. You know, the Mariners have lost six in a row. Uh, there hasn't been uh, quite the need for a traditional closer uh, recently. But, man, they, they need to get Kendall back and, and the rest of those relievers uh, sooner rather than later. 
you know, I, I think about Jerry Depoto's got to be getting some calls at some point about Kendall because Kendall really doesn't make a whole heck of a lot and how good he is. Do you think there's a possibility where you you could move him for some prospects? Well, there's no doubt Jerry's going to get calls, has gotten calls, has uh, calls on hold uh, for Kendall <laughs> Graveman. Uh, we, we all know what uh, leverage relievers uh, go for and are the, the need for them at the deadline. I think the, the onus is uh, squarely on the Mariners as a team to get back in this thing, be competitive, and make it compelling uh, near the deadline and give uh, the front office a reason to hold on to pieces because uh, the Mariners are, are in a state right now where uh, they have a lot of young players. They obviously just recently called up Jared Kalnick, one of the top prospects in baseball. Uh, but that, although he is the youngest, there's still some young players who are on the big league roster uh, who are still trying to get a full season's worth of games in. Somebody like Kyle Lewis, who was the rookie of the year last year, he still hasn't played 162 games in his big league career. So he's still very young. But the, the Mariners have to uh, get back into it in order for those uh, calls to at least be not returned quite so quickly. Because if the Mariners are in it, I would imagine that there'd be obviously a much greater reason to hold on to a guy like Raven. Well, I got to tell you, one of the one of the great stories so far, there's been a couple great stories. I think uh, about someone like Trey Mancini. I think about Mitch Hanniger, who obviously is a kid from the South Bay in the Bay Area. And, I mean, one of those injuries he had was it was so tough to watch, as I think we all know <laughs> that was not good. But the way he has uh, started out, I'm just so happy for him that he's able to play again and be healthy and enjoy the game that he loves. He's been, you're right. No, I think Mancini's got the comeback player of the year award locked down uh, as soon as he stepped inside the batter's box just one time this year. Uh, but uh, that, that takes nothing away from what Mitch Hanniger has done. You're right. He, he underwent three surgeries in the span of seven months. Uh, on opening day this year, it was his first time in a big league game since the first week of June 2019. Uh, he had the initial surgery to remedy the problem that uh, you so eloquently referenced. And then he had two surgeries were byproducts of uh, basically him trying to come back. They were in different parts of his body and uh, he had terrible back pain. He had to have that taken care of. He was compensating for a core injury. I, there was, it was, it almost began to feel like a laundry list, but three, I mean, I've never had a single surgery in my life and Mitch has had three in seven months, man. I mean, it's um, it's brutal what he went uh, had to go through. But then you look at uh, what he has been like this year for the Mariners, and it honestly looks like he, he didn't miss a day. He's playing like an all-star. Uh, he's mashing the ball. He's hitting the ball hard. He's playing a good right field. He's a, a massive veteran presence uh, on, on the ball club. And he is, I mean, he is as robotic as any dude in the game. He is so locked in. Uh, he hardly has time to smile or eat. Uh, he is just laser focused and does it in a pretty quiet way. Not a flashy guy, but man, he gets it done. And he's a he's a, a big, big part of what the Mariners do. Yeah, because in 2018, I'm looking at the numbers now. Hit 285, 26 home runs, 93 RBIs, had an 859 OPS. I mean, he's coming into his own at 27 years old in his prime. And to think the next year, just 63 games, doesn't play in 2020. I mean, that's so tough when, you, when, when you're injured like that 
you don't feel like you're a part of it. As you mentioned, the surgeries and the rehabs. I mean, that, that stuff's miserable for a young professional athlete. Yeah, I can't. Uh, you know, the same kind of goes for guys who have Tommy John, especially guys who were in the limelight prior to the surgery. I've always been kind of fascinated by just the mental aspect of you go from being uh, the center of the diamond, right? You are at one point, Mitch was the Mariners leadoff hitter. And even when he wasn't leading off, he was in the heart of the order. He was one of the main engines of this offense. And then you just disappear. I mean, you, he disappeared for the back half of 19 and we never saw him once in 2020. And what that must be like for a guy who's so part of being a part of, of a team and an organization and a clubhouse uh, all the while he was doing his work, but nobody saw him. Nobody heard from him. Uh, we, just trusted that we would see him at some point. And unfortunately that point is now, but he's such an intense guy. Uh, he's talked about how he makes practice harder than the games, which is not an easy thing to simulate, as you can imagine. And one of the methods that he described doing uh, this off season is actually moving the pitching machine, a velocity machine closer to him uh, to make it even harder to hit high velocity and he's been one of the better hitters for the ball club at hitting velocity this year, which is interesting. But he's always looking for that mental or physical edge. He, he rarely eats out, and that's not a COVID thing, although that's a part of it these days. But he cooks a lot at home. He's very aware of what he puts in his body. Uh, he, he's got one focus in mind every day, and that's winning baseball games and being the best player he can. He's, uh, he's, he's like biomechanical, man. He's, he's cut from a different cloth. You know, I'm sure Mariner fans don't want to hear it, but the drought, I mean, what's it, 2001? I mean, that's when I got married. We're talking 20 years ago. Just what are people saying in the Pacific Northwest about just how it's been so long since the Mariners have been in the postseason? It's funny. I'm not familiar with this storyline that you bring up. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> oh, am I breaking news here? <laughs> now, wait, I need to write this down. What year do you think it was? Um, no, it's it's been hey, there's there is no way to describe it that fully encapsulates uh, the the disappointment and and the pain that Mariners fans have gone through. There are uh, Mariners fans in college right now who have not seen of uh, the Mariners in October. I mean, look at it that way, uh, which is obviously tough to swallow. The Mariners, you can give them this, although the losing streak right now is tough and where they are in the standings, you can go on and on. Uh, the Mariners, for the first time in, man, a long time, probably the first time in the drought uh, would be my guess, they have a clear plan. And it's a plan that has been clearly communicated internally, externally, for the fan base, uh, and everybody's on the same page, from Jerry, the general manager, to Scott, service and dugout uh to you name it to the 26th guy on the roster uh to the fan driving around town everybody knows the plan so the you, you can't argue with the fact that they have stuck to the plan as well uh, they have fully fortified and bolstered the farm system it is among the very best no matter which publication you want to look at not only does it have depth it has high-end talent as well they have two of the top five prospects in all of baseball uh, one of them is with the Mariners now, and Jared Kelnick. The other, Julio Rodriguez, is in high A right now and just ripping it. So uh, they have they put it out there, what they want to do. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that the canceled minor league season last year set the Mariners back. And it set every team back yeah. uh, to a certain degree. But when you have a team that is 
a future that is built on the farm, uh, you lose a whole year of development, man. That's you can you can try to get some of that back. You know, the Mariners at a co-op league in Arizona. Uh, they obviously had a lot of those high-end guys at, at the alternate site last year and in summer camp, but it's not it's not 140 games. We all know that. So as painful as it has been, they have a plan, and we're seeing a lot of those pieces of the plan already reach the majors. I mean, we're, you're going to see them, uh, a lot of them tonight, whether it's uh, obviously a guy like Kelnick to Kyle Lewis, I mean, to you go down the list, guys that we will see up uh, on the mound, especially in the rotation. Um, a lot of those pieces are here. Even guys who feel like they've kind of graduated from that list, you know, J.P. Crawford, who's won a gold glove, Evan White right now on the injured list. He won a gold glove last year. Uh, he's very much a part of the future. So you are seeing present meet future uh, in 2021 for the Mariners. Uh, hopefully they get some guys healthy and start winning some more ball games. Let's end on this, and it's a big positive. So right now on MLB.com, they're doing the food fight, like the best food oh, yeah. in baseball. And for the Mariners, it's the seared sockeye salmon sandwich. And I tell people all the time, it's an easy southwest flight up to Seattle. You want to go to one of the most beautiful ballparks and by far, I think of all the ballparks that I've been to, you guys, number one in food. There's no question. Oh, yeah, man. The, the, the food scene inside T-Mobile Park is off the charts. There's a lot of great eats around the show. There's no doubt. But you talk about foul pole to foul pole inside T-Mobile Park, and the food is tremendous. And the sockeye sandwich sandwich, I have at least one for homestand. Uh, it is dynamite. Uh, it's a great, it's a gorgeous ballpark. We're, we're so lucky to have such a beautiful park that, quite frankly, not only was it built beautiful, but the Mariners have put a, such time and resources and care and thought into keeping it maintained. It still looks as good as the day that it was built. This won't be one of those ballparks that, after 30 years of service, they take a wrecking ball to it. The Mariners were very clear when they built T-Mobile Park. They built this to become a Fenway or a Wrigley. In so much, in, that is to say, this is a ballpark they want to have around for 100 years. Uh, and they're taking care of it. And people, everybody, every broadcaster or, or writer who comes to T Mobile Park, I always hear them say the same thing. It's one of their favorite ballparks to visit. And it's, uh, food is part of it, but it's also just a gorgeous place. And uh, we appreciate the kind words, no doubt. Oh, the Asian spot behind home plate, and then the, the, the lobster rolls out in left center. I mean, a three-day set, you're gaining some pounds when you go to T-Mobile. <laughs> There's no question. And, and, and you know what, what I noticed, too, is because I always like to walk around the ballparks. You don't really realize when the, the, the roof is closed, it's like you don't even notice that it's closed. It's amazing. Uh, you, you can't hear it. It's completely silent. And it really doesn't – you still feel like you're outside when the roof is closed because the uh, the exterior walls, there aren't any. It's just like an umbrella that slides over the top of the ballpark. Uh, so you're right. A, a lot of people, if you're you know digging into a, a lobster roll or a salmon sandwich and you got your eyes on the field and, and on your plate, you might not notice the roof is closing at all. It's rain or shine. It's just a gorgeous ballpark to be in, and uh, we're so lucky we get to call it home. Hey, we always appreciate the time. It means a lot to us, and uh, we'll talk to you later on during the season, and have a great call tonight. Hey, man, it's great being with you guys. Thanks for thinking of me. Aaron Goldsmith from the Seattle Mariners. Good guy, really good guy. Friend of the program, as we've had him on multiple times. And, uh, Cody, the food at what used to be Safeco, now T-Mobile. It's legit.
all around the ballpark, legit. Uh, I've been there when it was Safeco, so they changed it, like, I think a year or two after I went there. Uh, I loved Seattle when I was there. Um, I went there to see the A's, the A's and Mariners play. I just got tickets on a whim, had looked to see who they are playing, and I looked, and I was like, oh, the A's are here. So I went and saw them play, but um, they have one of the most unique things you can buy at the ballpark. Uh, you can get fried grasshoppers. Yeah, um, I, didn't, I didn't try those. I, well, yeah, I wouldn't try. I, I don't eat seafood. You're going to eat grasshoppers? I mean, I come just, on. Just, you know, they just – but I love I love going there. And, there's a, and by the way, there's a line to get them, and I'm like, I'm not waiting in line to get grab. I'll wait in line for a lobster roll. Oh, they have these dumplings there. There, oh, they're to die for. Um, you know, when I think of when we talk about facilities, new facilities being built, you go up to Seattle, and they're right next door to each other. They got an absolute beautiful ballpark, and then what's the uh, What's the Seahawks place? Is that Quest Field or well, something? Yeah, it's not the it's not the Link anymore. It's uh, I think it is Quest Field. Uh, let me look up the new name. I mean, it used to be called Century Link, but they changed it. Because with the Raiders, we played them in preseason every year, and I, I've been there a couple times. I mean, it's just incredible. Lumen Field is what it's called Lumen now. Lumen Field. Lumen Field. It used to be Century Link. The Link. Century Link. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah. Now it's Lumen Field. And I could not. I, I seriously, when they talk about the twelfth man, uh, it's real. Like it's a preseason game. It's sold out, and they were. I remember it was fourth quarter, and it's raining. Obviously, it's Seattle, and you got your rain gear on. You're trying to protect your gear on the sidelines. And these people are going nuts. And I'm like, it's the fourth preseason game. Nobody cares. Neither team's trying to win. You just don't want to get anybody hurt. But they're acting like it's like they're acting like it's a playoff game. Uh, I, I was I was a bit offended when Aaron said that, you know, it's this this is playoff trout. I mean, it's you know, it's it's rough up here. What do you mean rough? At least you guys have had winning seasons. Rough. Nobody knows rough. Nobody knows pain. Well, when, when you're a Pittsburgh Pirate fan and you were under 500 for 20 straight years. Yeah, nobody knows pain like I do. It was a rebuild after a rebuild after a rebuild after another rebuild. Hey, guess what? Guess what they're doing right now? Rebuild. Rebuilding. That's the thing. It's like everybody tries to get on board with this rebuild, and I think that's why we as A's fans have to really appreciate what goes on here, even though there's some of you, well, we haven't won a World Series. I expect World Series. I get it. Hey, winning the World Series, winning the Super Bowl, winning the NBA. I mean, we thought the Warriors would never stop winning. We thought the Warriors are going to win championships forever. Light years. Uh, yeah. How'd that work out this year? Hey, they got to the – Play-in game? They got to the play-in game. You, you, you went from being the best team in the NBA and a historic team in the NBA to a play-in game. The the best clip I saw of that, by the way. Oh, how about this? Niner, for all you Niner fans out there, Niners haven't won a Super Bowl since I was in college. It's a long time. It's a long time ago. But they've been to two, well, they've been to two and they've lost both since. So it's tough to win a championship. But the point is with the A's that Billy and David, that's Billy Bean and David Forrest, they never rebuild. That's not in their DNA. Now, there's been some years that where the A's have not been good. But for the most part, more, more you know, half the time Billy Bean's been in charge, the A's have been in the playoffs. And I'll take that kind of success any day of the week versus what I'm watching out here as I'm watching the Mariners take ground balls. And you're like, this team goes into game one of the season knowing they have no shot. 
Like, if you're a fan going to the games, you know your team will not be in the postseason. You can expand the playoffs all you want, and these guys are not getting in. That's got to be rough as a fan. We never have to deal with that. Now, we can question at the start of the year what the roster looks like. Do we think it's going to be any good? But the one thing you know, especially under Bob Melvin, you know, you take away what? 15, 16? 17. 17. But then you're right back in the postseason. Yeah. You don't have a 15-year drought. Your droughts as an A's fan are like two, three, four years. But in those years, at least they were still trying. But you make decisions you know, as I always say in those seasons, that it's a puzzle. And if the pieces don't fit, after a while you don't you don't blame the players. They're trying. They're just not a team that's built that can win. But in years like this, you got to celebrate, you know, what we've seen the past couple of years. I mean, because basically they've won 97. If you take their winning percentage from what they did last year in the 60 games, that would have worked out to 97 wins. And if you're complaining about your baseball team winning 97 games three straight years, you got issues. Yeah. I mean, remember, remember a couple of years ago, the Mariners won 13. They started out 13-2, and two and <laughs> they, didn't make the, they didn't make the postseason. So, wait a minute. Isn't our 5 o'clock guest like our most important guest? Yeah. Who the hell is Alex Jensen? Some guy filled in for Ken Korak. What are we talking? Are we talking college basketball? Yeah, are we talking about? Are we talking about Tyler Soderstrom and him killing it we have for to, pa- Stockton? What happened to all the Australians coming out to St. Mary's? That's the number one question I have because Randy Bennett used to dominate the Aussies. Yeah, well, c- clearly he's now recruiting guys on, the, uh, on this continent. The great Alex Jensen is going to join us next. And as we said earlier, it is his fault for leaving why I'm working every day. I've had not had one day off, and it's Alec Jensen's fault. We'll address it next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, he is the voice of the Stockton Ports. He's the voice of St. Mary's. And tonight, he's going to be one of the voices of the Oakland Athletics. Alex Jensen is with us here on A's Cast Live. You've heard him on A's Cast Live and on A's Cast, and he does a lot of our promos, and he's done the show for years. And I just think for you and all the guys down at A-Ball, just the appreciation to be back at work. Oh, yeah. You're not kidding. Good to see you, first of all, Yes, good to see you. And, Cody, it's it's good to be back here. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it's just like for all of us, right? I mean, you guys got the 60 games plus the playoffs – uh, which, I mean, I was tooth and, you know, I was hanging on tooth and la- nail all those games. But, uh, yeah, it's just great to be back at the ballpark again, just going back to work. You know, like you said, I mean, it's the little things you take for granted, you know, watching batting practice and just, you know, and enjoying watching the game every day. I mean, that's that's what's the that's what the fun is for me. You know, I love baseball, man. I, I And last year was going to be my first opportunity to, to do that every day and, and call baseball every single day. I mean, you know, the the – Two years I had here in 2018 and 2019 were like a dream come true. And then that was like taking the next step for me because, you know, it was play-by-play and like my own deal. And so, yeah, it was tough, but it, it is great being back at the ballpark. I mean, just like with you guys, our, our access to the players and stuff like that is limited uh, and to the coaches and all that stuff. But it's just – it's great to have baseball back at all levels. I think the players need it, right? I mean, you know, for development, obviously, but – it's uh, it's just like you said. It's great to be back at work, and it's great to be here, man. I mean, I, I feel very lucky. Well, and, and you know, for us as broadcasters, 
I, I mean, the bottom line is we'll we'll always have another year, and the year after that, and the year after. these players only have so long yeah. to make it. And I just, I mean, I felt bad for the high school seniors. I felt bad for the college seniors. Uh, I, I felt bad for these minor league players. You're getting a chance to prove yourself and be a professional. And if you weren't at the alternate site, what did you have? I mean, you can work out with buddies all you want, yeah. but you lost a full year of your career. Well, not just that. I mean, in the minor leagues, the rules now changed, right? I mean, Major League Baseball now has, uh, you know, they're, they're in charge of the minor leagues now. The minor leagues are no longer uh, a separate deal. And now you have your 180 players, so some guys got left out of the shuffle. You know, and didn't get to didn't get to show what they could do in 2020, whatever they were working on in that 2019 offseason. You know, I mean, so it's it it's just a lot of factors compounded uh, with, with that whole deal. And, you know, I, actually, I was talking to one of our guys the other day, uh, Lawrence Butler. He was the A six round pick in 2018 out of Atlanta, Georgia. He actually works out. He told me with Taylor Trammell and Kyle Lewis in Atlanta, he felt like the year off helped him. You know, he felt like he got better during the year off. So I think it's it's just different for everybody, man. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, with the prospects, with college, with high school, everyone's now a year older. You lose a whole year of your ability to produce and, and you know, make money. I mean, this is their livelihood, yeah. right? Well, you and I were both terrible college pitchers. <laughs> but I, I got to think for some of the guys, you know, you know, some pitchers have so much wear and tear on their arms. Yeah. That I, I tried to take a glass half full and say, you know, for some of these guys to take the ball out of their hands and maybe kind of recharge the arm a little bit. Have any of those guys down there talked about that? Well, I, once I am able to talk to them a little bit more, I, I can tell you it's hard yeah. for me to get pitchers during batting practice because they're all in the outfield and they go straight to the clubhouse. You know, the hitters, at least I can hang out behind the, you know, behind the netting and, and pull them over and say, hey, can I talk to you for a little while after batting practice is over? Um, but, yeah, I'd. As soon as I know, I'll tell. I would imagine that it, it would be, you know. I mean, that you come back feeling a little bit more refreshed. I mean, you know, but the, the other side of that coin is what you were talking about after the game yesterday, you know, innings limits, pitch limits, you know. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how that year off is going to affect these guys until later in the season, maybe even years down the road. So there's two. I think there's two sides to, to the coin, you know. Well, and then I think about the number one pick, Soderstrom down there. Uh, I keep doing this minor league report, and it's yeah. like he's extended his hitting streak. He's yeah. been on. I mean, it, when you watch video of him, and if you knew nothing about him, right, and you're watching him play every day, I've just seen video. Mm -hmm. I know his old man. I played against him, and I, when his old man was the number one pick for the San Francisco Giants out of Fresno State. And so when he was with the San Jose Giants, I knew a couple of San – I used to go drinking beers with his dad. It's funny. <laughs> um, but – when I look at him, if I didn't know, there's no way you'd say this kid's just out of high school. No way. I mean, he, there's definitely a presence about him when he steps into the box. You know, his, his approach is really advanced. I mean, he's facing guys that were, you know, top three, five-round picks out of college, you know, so polished guys who know how to spin a breaking ball in a 3-1 count or throw a change up behind in the count. You know, I mean, he, he, he is really like no foul line to foul line. His, his, his approach is that advanced. Um, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't – doesn't have a home run yet, but he's got seven doubles, which going into Sunday's game led all of the Cal League, Low A West, the Cal League. Um, I'm still getting used to that, by the way. It's very weird. It's, even though it's my first year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, 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 appro the approach is advanced. Um, he hits to all fields. And you know what? He's pretty athletic behind the dish, man. Like, he had kind of a rough night in his first game against Modesto, but he, he, he's a really hard worker. 
Uh, and, you know, that's obviously that's just one game. But he's a pretty good catch-and-throw guy. He's very good side-to-side. -side. Like, like I said, he's athletic. He's played first. He's DH. So there's a lot to like there, no doubt. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if he continues to hit. I mean, he may be one of those guys. He's such an advanced bat that yep. he's not going to be in the minors that long, maybe. Could be. It could be. I mean, what do you go, four for ten with three doubles at big league spring training? I mean, for a 19-year-old kid that was playing at Turlock High last year, <laughs> that's it's kind of a joke, right? I mean, that's yeah. that, but that's what we're talking about, and that's what he's kind of shown. I mean, even after an 0 for 4, he comes back 3 for 5, 1 for 4, 1 for 3. He's just very consistent, very consistent. And in the opening series against Modesto, he uh, first at bat he goes left field line double, first at bat of his career, double down the left field line the other way. Then he goes three hits in a row, over the next couple of days, just to the right side of second base. So Modesto goes, okay, we'll shift the infield on him. We'll put three guys on the right side. Next at bat, base hit to left center. They do it again. The, that second at bat, they, they shift on him, double down the left field line. So he just has, he has an idea of what he's doing, and that's really impressive for a 19-year-old. Yeah, Cody and I actually went to a San Jose Giants game, and it was, I you want to talk about bizarre. Fresno's been a triple-A affiliate. Yeah. Forever. Right, they were the Giants. They've been the Astros. I mean, they're they're kind of they're they've been around for a long, long time. And to be like, you go from being Triple A to being in Low A, and to think that San Jose and Stockton, which has always been High A, is now in Low A, it's just it, it's confusing and very strange. No doubt. And I think kind of what I've learned is there there's a big difference between Low A and High A. Even you know, I mean, obviously Low A to Triple A, you're talking about years of development but low A to high A I mean you know take the ports for example right I mean we, we have the youngest team in the league I think our average age for our lineup is uh, like 20 years and two months but we're starting three teenagers in low A in you know in low A baseball so there's a big difference I mean you got to get out obviously you have to produce to to get to high A but you just you know I mean as the pyramid goes up right there's less and less players that are able to reach that level um, so yeah, no, think about Fresno. They're playing in a AAA ballpark still. I mean, that ballpark holds like 10, 12,000 people. We haven't been there yet. We were just in Visalia this past week. Uh, but I feel for Doug Greenwald, man. I mean, he was just in AAA, and by no fault of his own, he's back in low A. And, I mean, look at Lancaster. Lancaster just got the axe. I mean, they're not even playing baseball there anymore. They're trying to figure out what to do with that ballpark. Yeah, that's that, that was a publicly financed Nice ballpark with yeah. with suites and the whole deal, and they don't even have a team. Right. Yeah. And and what I've heard, I, that environment apparently is just with the you know in the high desert with the wind blowing out. Yeah. You know, I guess the the numbers get skewed obviously um, with some of the prospects there. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is, man. I mean, like I said, everything has changed with uh, with the minor leagues now that Major League Baseball. I do think some of it, and this is my first year, so. You know, Zach Bayrudi could probably tell us a little bit more about his feelings on this stuff, and because he was, you know, he was with Stockton for 15 years. Where did he go? In He's in Reno now with the Diamondbacks AAA club. The Reno uh, Aces. Yeah. Once home of the great Raymond Fossey. He uh, great stories about how he tried to sing into the casino, <laughs> and that's where he met his wife, right? Yeah, his wife went to UNR. Yeah. So yeah. can you imagine Fossey as like a teenager? Hanging out in Reno in the in the 60s. Reno was in the Cal League then. That was he was playing single A baseball in Reno. I had him on our pod, the Portside Pod. I had him on our podcast, and he was telling me stories about 
when he was in Reno, and he was he was playing in the Cal League when he was in Reno. I was a guest on that program before too. Wow, I mean everybody's been a guest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, my, wow, Cody, thank you. Does my phone <laughs> does my phone still work? Uh, you are a diehard A's fan. You love this organization. You love this team. What's it going to be like for you as a guy? Who this 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 franchise meant so much to you in your life, and then tonight you get to call play by play for him. It's I. There's no other way to put it, Townie. It's a dream come true. I mean, it really is. You know, um, obviously, you know, both of our dreams was to play Major League Baseball one day, but that ended pretty quick. That ended pretty quick. You know, <laughs> once you get into high school or so, maybe college, but probably not after that. So I really started to, you know, when I would come to the games here, and uh, you know, my my dad had part of a season ticket in 119 right down there and we get like seven games a year and uh you know i came to several games other than that uh you know being from oakland here uh, but i'd always look up the broadcast booth and wonder what if and then in 2018 uh you know when i was lucky enough to do the broadcast assistant deal and and fill in for you i mean you really gave me helped give me my first opportunity behind the microphone here man i mean I bought this guy a beer at the uh well this is before you worked here cody i mean i bought this guy a beer at the warriors game and, so uh, it's the best so, beer he ever bought. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just saw him, and uh, I was with a couple of buddies. And, and anyway, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a dream come true, man. I mean, I grew up here. I grew up coming to games here. I posted a picture on Twitter um, yesterday of me as like a three-year-old sitting way up there by the scoreboard in right field with an A's helmet on. Uh, <laughs> and the place was – that was back when they had the orange seats here, right? And it was packed, man. It was like, you know, the heyday of the, of the Bash Brothers A's then. I mean, obviously, I don't remember the picture being taken, but it just, you know, I've spent a lot of time at this ballpark, and, and to do this and, and live out my dream, you know, with the A's here, I mean, it's just like, I, I can't even put into words how special that is. Now, something I, I, I always ask you about, because it's the most ridiculous thing maybe in sports, um, where are the Gales right now <laughs> uh, projected for the – they're already projecting the tournament, and college basketball is so far away. I don't know what that website you're always on. Where, where, are, are they, Bracketology. Joe Lunardi, you don't know who Joey Brackets is? I think, you, he, I think he's projecting them in right now. Is he really? Yeah, I think so. Uh, When's so, the first game? I, I don't know. The schedule hasn't come out yet, but the Gales will be in the Maui Invitational this year, which I am oh, that's a big really deal. looking forward to. Yeah, that, that'll be fun. I got one for you on the way out. When did St. Mary's become a pitching factory? Tony Gonsolin, Corbin, Corbin Burns. Burns, Tom Candiotti, I guess you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when, when, when did this here happen? For a reason. Tony Bennett recruits these kids from Australia, Patty Mills, Matthew Del Bennett. Tony, yeah, Randy Bennett. There you Randy. go. Tony Bennett, San Francisco, whatever. <laughs> when did that, that university become such a pitching factory for all these kids? I mean, it's, it's unreal. Corbin Burns sets a record. It gets broken three days later by Garrett Cole, but still. Yeah. I mean, just I keep hearing guy after Kyle Bearclaw is another one. Yeah. When, when did this happen? That's a great question. I don't know. They, um, of course, the guy, it's a great question. The guy, yeah, should consider the source, right? Uh, I, uh, the guy that's at Long Beach State now, his name's Eric Valenzuela. He is, he's just a really good developer of pitchers. And he, he, was, um, he took St. Mary's to their first ever regional in like his second year. I mean, St. Mary's was always struggling to get to 500. Right? I remember when I was a senior – our goal by, you know, 20 games in, 15 games in, was to be 500 because the St. Mary's team hadn't finished 500 or over 500 in like 15 or 20 years or something like that. So he comes in, takes over, uh, you know, it was like four games under his first year after half the roster left when the old coaching staff left. 
And then the next year, he has them winning the West Coast Conference, which, you know, Pepperdine, San Diego, now Gonzaga, USF. Santa I mean, Clara. Santa yeah. Clara. It's a, good, it's a good baseball conference. And going to a regional where they, actually, they were actually eliminated by Coastal Carolina, who won the, the whole thing that year. But he, he has a big hand in that. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does at Long Beach State. Because the way I always kind of, like, you know, analogize that whole deal, when, when he takes Long Beach State, you know, that's like – to bring it back to college basketball, that's like Randy Bennett taking the job at Arizona. You know, I mean, yeah. Long Beach State. I mean, that's a, that's a big name in the baseball community. But that's, I mean, you know, Corbin Burns was like a projected first-round pick when that season started, and he fell away to the fourth. And it took him a little while to develop. Like his, what was that? Was it 2019 or last year where he had a really rough year? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think a lot of that comes back to his work ethic. I mean, to be able to put that work in and be where he is now after – going 0-6 or whatever it was in, in 2020. I mean, that's – but, yeah, I mean, we've had a pretty good run of success, man. Another guy, Patrick – well, he's a position player, but Patrick Wisdom's another guy yep. from St. Mary's. Yep, so. he's, uh, he's been – he was with the Mariners last – or in 2019, actually, I think. He was up with the Mariners. He's been like a – you know, he's been bouncing back and forth between AAA and, and, uh, and the big leagues. But, uh, yeah – yeah, it's, it's cool watching Tony Gonsolin pitch in the World Series, See, too. San Jose State Football School, St. Mary's – Baseball school? What? No, they're <laughs> basketball school. Uh, is it still Tom Candiotti Field? It is Louis Gisto Field. There's a Tom Candiotti, uh, like, picnic area down the right field line at their he's, new he, ballpark. He's friend of the program. Oh, is he really? Yeah, we've had him on a couple of times. The knuckleballer coming on talk well, a little baseball. Well, well we can't get uh, Tori Lovello on. C- Candyman's our backup guy. That makes me the second best uh, St. Mary's guest you've had i guess fact <laughs> out of two that's hashtag fact that's true yeah All right, i we, mean we gotta set this or, up or or 1a 1b as yeah. i would like to say <laughs> it's okay man you can call it what it is you don't have to do that just because i'm in the room with you well hey man we're proud of you tonight's you. gonna be uh really special uh to hear you on the broadcast have a lot of fun with it you're you're now a big league broadcaster oh thank you guys i mean like i said it really is a dream come true and uh you know, I was telling Ray and, and Ken, you know, being able to be around here and watch you guys do what you do every single day, it was so good for me as a broadcaster to kind of, you know, soak that in and understand what it means to be to be prepared to do your job at a high level every single day. So thank you guys, too. Well, we just learned how to ham and egg it. <laughs> and, then uh, we, and then we hand it over to you. I just follow, Tom, I just follow Tony's lead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Have a good call. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Are we doing a little buying or selling? It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. It's always great to see the, the former face of A's All Night, Alex. Yeah, well, A's All Night, we miss. People like, People ask all the time. It was, at one point, the most downloaded program on A's Cast. It'd take him all night to do it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's why it's called A's All Night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right. So we'll we'll start this one out. It, it's going to cut off the music, so I'll give everyone a full disclaimer on that. But uh, Friday night, uh, well, this whole weekend was interesting here in the Bay Area. Uh, I saw some people tweeting, it was the worst weekend in the Bay Area ever. Why? Because the Warriors lost and the Giants got Aww. swept. Because everyone, you know, everyone ignores the A's, although the A's won two or three from the Angels. But uh, no one cares about that, apparently, although we do. So... But that happened, but the Dodgers swept the Giants. But on Friday night, Trevor Bauer got introduced to the Giants-Dodgers rivalry at uh, Oracle Park. And he didn't disappoint. He won six and a third, gave up one run, struck out 11. Well, earlier in the game, 
Bauer, uh, he had a strikeout and uh, of Alex Sigerson 2-1. And here's what it sounded like. John Miller on the call, because you know how they switch broadcasters in the middle. Kipe does radio. John Miller comes on. So Miller, John Miller is on the broadcast, NBC Sports Bay Area, with Mike Kruko. Here's the call of the strikeout. Check swing, and he went around with it. Strike three. And Bauer celebrates on the mound. It's weak. So Mike Kruko said, that's weak. Oh, it gets better. Hold on. Trevor Bauer gets taken out of the game. Here's what that sounded like, courtesy of Spectrum Sports. Our friend Joe Davis, Earl Horschizer, on the call. The big league game this year. Leaves with a 2-1 lead. <laughs> Paying homage to Tommy Lasorda as he heads back into the dugout in his first Dodger-Giant rivalry game. So he walked off the mound doing a uh, – Cupping his ear like I can't, you know, I can't, I'm try, I can't hear you. Like, then, a, like a professional wrestler. Yeah, like Hulk Hogan. Then he put his arms out like Tommy Lasorda did at Candlestick Park. Well, here's what Bauer had to say about the fans after the game. Uh, you know, fans wanted to boo me, so I wanted them to turn the volume up. Like, if you're going to boo me, then don't, I can't say that. Don't half, you know, whatever it, on the mound or on the stadium. Just give it to me. So I was listening to uh, our old friend Greg Papa and John Lund. And uh, Greg Poppin, not a fan of the antics of Trevor Bauer. A lot of people aren't, but we love him, friend of the program. Buying or selling, Trevor Bauer is the heel Major League Baseball needs. Hey, you, in every good story, there is a villain. True. Somebody has to be the villain. That's a great wrestling thing. There's always a face and a heel. There's always There was always somebody that was taking on Hulk Hogan, WrestleMania. Andre the Giant was the bad guy. At times, my guy, the Macho Man, was the bad guy. Ric Flair was always a bad guy. I'm telling you, these old broadcasters, and no offense, uh, I, I know Greg really well. Uh, no offense to... Um, What's his name with it? Mike Kruko. That's weak. But it's like, guys, Tony LaRussa, guys, if you think baseball the way it was when, when, when you were around, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need entertainment. There's nothing wrong with a bat flip. There's nothing wrong with a, you know, if guys can bat flip and we're saying let the kids play, we got to allow pitchers. I mean, do you remember? People used to get mad at Dennis Eckersley for, like, the pointing. But you know what? It was entertaining. I mean, I mean, think about think about Steph Curry. Steph Curry hitting a three and pointing to the sky and then shimmying. Uh, are, are, is, is Greg Papa going to call that weak? Is Kruger going to call that weak? Or if I catch a touchdown? And, and look what happens in, in today's football. How many times does a running back score the touchdown and then he gives it to an offensive lineman and the offensive lineman does the huge spike? Do you think they did that with the Green Bay Packers under Lombardi? No, but this isn't then. If they did, Lombardi go, what the hell's going on out here? What the hell's going on around here? We got guys who catch a touch. We, we get guys who catch one pass and get up and go first down, and they've caught one pass in the game. But it's entertainment. We want entertainment. These old guys got to understand the way baseball was, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it doesn't work now. We, we, all the other sports are evolving, and baseball just continues to fight it. I agree. All right, one last one. Man, it was great yesterday to watch a lefty win the PGA. Oh, my guy, Phil. 50 years old, the oldest golfer to win a major, but on intentional talk on Friday with our good friend Steven Nelson and – 1-5, Kevin Lara, who all on this day 
22 years ago, had his first major league home run, which was an inside-the-park home run at Wrigley Field. I figured I'd throw that in there. Take a listen to Cole Irvin, right, Mr. Riding the Wave himself, had to say about the PGA and who was going to win. Uh, who do you got in the PGA championship going? Big lefty. Phil yes. Nicholson. Who, I mean, who else? Yes. Who else? I mean, you, you can't root so for anyone good. else, especially when John Ron comes at him hot. John Rahm, uh, coached by Phil's brother at uh, Arizona State. Very good friends with uh, Phil Mickelson. So the next two majors are the U.S. Open, which was on by Bryson DeChambeau last year, which was in, like, November when they played last year, September because of COVID. And then the Open Championship, which was won by Shane Lowry in 2019. They, yeah, they didn't play it last yeah. year. Buying or selling, Cole Irvin will predict, will predict the U.S. and Open Championship correctly this year. I am uh, selling that, and – don't expect Lefty to win at Torrey Pines, even though he's won the Buick, which is played at Torrey Pines, on the rotation of the West Coast Swing. I believe he's won it three times, but he hasn't won since they did the redo. They redid Torrey Pines. They changed greens. They changed tee boxes because they did it for the 2008 uh, U.S. Open, the famous one where oh, Tiger oh. outlasted Rocco Mediate. Rocco Mediate from the town right next to where I grew up. Well, Rocco gave him a hell of a battle, and Tiger was playing on a broken leg. But uh, Phil has not fared well because he grew up playing Torrey Pines. And then they changed the course, and he hasn't done well there since. Hasn't won. So I will not. And that's my guy. I went to school with Phil Mickelson in grade school. Well, there you go. San Diego's own. So I, I, I will shout out Blessed Sacrament. Um, I will not be picking Lefty, but this shows his career is not done. No, he's 50. Well, he's the oldest guy to win. There's like two other people. The one guy was like Old Tom something. Uh, old Tom Morris. <laughs> I love that it's Old Tom Morris. <laughs> so, so how many people will you ever see win tournaments on the senior tour? Well, they now call it the Champions Tour. Yeah. And also win a major. Uh, you may never see that again. Yeah. You may never see yeah. that again. We're done? Yeah, we're done. I'm just getting warmed up. Yeah, well, you got, we got ace hole access in 15 can, can, minutes. Can I ask you a question? How can you have a chicken Caesar wrap, but you're, out, but you're given slices of bread? How is slices of bread a wrap? I, I don't know. Great question. I'm not a Caesar fan anyway. Well, that, that's, what we, that's what we got today. All right. All right, who's, who we got? Uh, we're going to play David Force before we play uh, the good Ace Total Access. The general manager, David Force, and I'll be back in about 15. Thank you for listening, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.